Can you tell me a little bit about what the CCAM podcast is going to be about? CCAM feels like take that a step further. A giant archive in motion. More like a big cave. Interior. Some of the podcasts are more math. What's happening is about of combinatory play. And they might think it's a bad idea, but even when the humans are speaking. Hey there, I'm Lindsay from Artifact, and today on The Celestial World of CCAM, I'll be chatting with Dana Carwas, who's the director of the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media, about how she found herself at CCAM and what makes it such a special place for creativity and collaboration. Hi, I'm Dana Carwas. I'm the director of the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media at Yale, also known as CCAM. I went to Yale and I graduated in 2005. So I think CCAM was pretty young when I was there and I didn't really know very much about it. Can you tell me when it started and maybe a little bit behind the idea of CCAM? So when you were there, it was called the DMCA, the Digital Media Center for the Arts. So it started as kind of a collection of people and projects and equipment. And there was a space for that. And in 2017, or around 2016 or 2017, the university renovated the space that it's currently in at 149 York Street. They rebranded it to the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media, you know, had shifted its presence on the campus to, in some ways, be more official, but also uh, maintain that kind of hybrid community, interdisciplinary center that it started as. And we are currently writing a Wikipedia page on it. I've been interviewing people and trying to figure out, like, what was this place? And what, or what did you do here? And someone remembers the, the carpet. And there was, it was like a teaching space, but also there was a bunch of printers in the middle of the room. So people were teaching and printing at the same time. So that's, that's what it was. It was a hang. I think what it came down to is, was that it was a hangout and encourage different people from different majors or disciplines to kind of collect around, at the time, maybe film equipment, but it's transitioned since then. How did you become involved with CCAM? I can blame it on a few people. Um, well, <laughs> I'm so happy that I'm involved, but I, um, I can pinpoint a few of my friends and colleagues that pointed me in the direction of CCAM. So, there's a group of interdisciplinary artists and producers that span generations and we're all connected through a series of projects. So someone would work on someone else's installation, someone would be a DP on someone else's project. So it's kind of through production and these one-of-a-kind art installations that there's this big community of kind of thinkers and makers that I was part of in New York. And that can be funneled back into one person who currently teaches at Yale and his name's Matthew Sutter and he's a faculty at the School of Drama and he would teach classes that would be a mix of sound and video and funky architectural installations inside of spaces where mediums are being mixed and I know a lot of people who took his class from 20 years ago before I even met anyone at Yale so I credit Matthew Sutter for teaching these artists that kind of went out into the world and then I intersected with them and ended up finding CCAM through his network. So now that you're involved with CCAM, how many, how many years have you been there? I'm going to my third year. I saw the job 
And I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to get this. And I don't really know how, but <laughs> I'll just go try um, and meet all the people in it. And ended up working out. So that was J- January 2019. And what was it about the Center for Collaborative Arts and Media that spoke to you and made you so excited and, and hopeful to, to be able to work there? You know, I would read about it and I, I kept on thinking it had to, it, was, it reminded me of like a camera. I'm like, oh, kind of like this cool, I was imagining it as this kind of multi, multifaceted lens of an architectural space. I didn't really understand what it was, which made me even more curious because I would see what the programming was online or some of the projects and people involved. And it was a combination of people from all across the university and there was neuroscientists and different types of artists and sculptors and performances. And I felt very comfortable in the world that I was imagining it to be just through their website. And then their the people that I was asking about it. And I had a lot of friends that had interfaced with it. So it wasn't until I came up to New Haven to spy on it before I, I even came in for the interview. I just wanted to go check it out and kind of vibe it, vibe the situation. And I think I went to an event and saw the space. And it was really the architectural space of it that I was captivated by because I was like, oh, this is the place that is not only looking for someone to come in and create a vision for it, but to kind of rework how this works spatially on campus. So it's in a beautiful building. It has like a concrete facade that's decorative in the front. And we share the space with the School of Drama. So it just felt very active and like all these things were happening in it. Just by the way it's situated on campus and it had a kind of creaky wood floor. There used to be a bakery in the space and it was messy. It was like architecturally, it seemed messy. Like I couldn't quite figure out where the main office was or where I was supposed to go. And I, it was kind of like a gallery, but also people are making stuff and there was all of these kind of high tech machines and technological kind of detail, like a huge motion capture system and a studio and, a sprung floor. So it kind of made sense to me, but it also didn't. And that's what I really liked about it. It felt like a little bit of chaos. And I felt very comfortable in that and kind of it felt like people were making ideas happen. And, you know, I also went to this graduate program at NYU called ITP. It's the Interactive Telecommunications Program. And CCAM had a similar vibe to this NYU ITP program where the Floors were creaky and students were kind of running around making stuff that kind of looked recognizable, but also not like in any type of medium as like, is that a sculpture? Is that like an engine, like part of like a, like an engine? Like I couldn't, sometimes I couldn't tell. And the spaces around that and the space for creativity is I think what it reminded me of the most. Now that you've been there for a few years and, you know, not to leave out that, Two of those years have been in COVID. What are some of the projects that you have enjoyed the most? And how has being remote influenced the type of work that CCAM is supporting and encouraging? When I first got there, I wanted to do thousands of things. And I wanted to do exhibitions and start a publication and kind of like have it all happen at once. And I had to kind of take a step back and prioritize like, what, what would be the the most fun thing to do here. Like, how do I make this fun? And I worked with my team there and I have an advisory committee. So I was kind of bouncing ideas off of them and trying to figure out what to do. The best project, I think, or the one that I think had the most gravity 
before COVID was the Wednesday Wisdom series in which we brought in outside artists to come and talk about their work or do a project with us. And some of the quotes that came out of those talks and the events that kind of supported those talks, I I think captured the essence of what CCAM is in a way that I don't think I could have articulated. So for example, you know, Don Pettit was, is this astronaut and we put up his, we put up a big exhibition of his photography that he took from the International Space Station. And there was, I think, over 50 prints. We had murals and we had all of his stuff up. Then he came to give a talk. You know, after he would give his talk, he would have a series of questions. We would take him out. But, you know, we got him to say some super interesting stuff, like what if babies were born into space, if they were designers that were born in space. So it would have a completely different way of seeing and thinking about spatial relationships and like what would that architecture look like if they never had the concept of gravity pulling them down, like how would orientation kind of play into design? And so he, he really stumped a lot of the people that were around him that day just by some of the kind of side conversations we were having. And so those events capture the energy at CCAM. And also there was Elizabeth Hennef, who's a computational biologist who just casually slipped in at the end of her talk the possibility that rain dances are real in which she talked about this dance that would happen next to this particular type of plant and if the ground was shaking enough the microbes on this plant created by the rain would um or by moisture would then kind of go up into the air and create clouds and over time if you stomped around enough and danced around enough you could actually make it rain and everyone was like what and then she just kind of closed her laptop and was like, thanks for the, <laughs> thanks. Are there any questions? And everyone was kind of freaking out. Um, like what, what just happened? Um, and, and so, you know, then we all stomped around and started trying to make rain next to any plant we walked by on campus. It, it took a very sci-fi turn for us and which was surprising. I kind of knew it would maybe do that, but it made it very exciting for everyone to kind of be around these people that were thinking this way. How do you go about enticing students to collaborate with each other and to to do projects at CCAM? We try to just create typical opportunities like student fellowships or come work at CCAM, but instead of it just being research or maybe some type of paper or outcome that's contributing to a larger project, these fellowships are based on student projects and the fellows just kind of get to do whatever they want to do, whatever their area of expertise is. So we recently had a fellow do a project about trans portraiture and identity, and they played this uh, film that they made and talked about what it's like to be um, trans and an artist and how to bring identity into the idea of portraiture when one is transitioning. And that was a super interesting workshop. We have another student that's a physicist and her fellow workshop that she taught. And by the way, these workshops can be attended by anyone. You don't have to be a student or a faculty. So the physicist was teaching this physics and dance workshop because she's also a dancer. So basically she wrote this algorithm with some type of artificial intelligence computation component that would analyze her body movement over time. And then she could anticipate what type of choreographed move that she could make next or that her body could do. And that was kind of a really interesting collision of physics and dance. So we look for 
um, different types of intersections when we're kind of seeking out these projects, but the students just kind of find us. And that's been really great because we have this kind of freedom to work in a way that is outside of maybe their degree that they're going to be receiving. We can support projects that are very interdisciplinary and on many different scales. And the other side of that is, you know, we have student workers that just need to do stuff for us. Basically, we call these students Instead of student employees, we call them temporary experts, and that's been a hit because they never know what they're going to get. It's just they show up, and then they might have to help me write a proposal, or they might have to be a stand-in for a performance that's going to happen later. So we try to keep that exciting for the students, and we also get a lot of students involved that way. And you mentioned the podcast, and I know that Mm -hmm. you are going to be the host of the podcast. So can you tell me a little bit about what the CCAM podcast is going to be about and what your goals for the podcast are? So I don't know where this idea came about, but it's definitely been floating around somewhere in the CCAM orbit to kind of capture the type of thinking and creativity that happens at CCAM. And um, one of the ways we've done that in the past is, and currently are doing that is we have a publication called Maquette, which is this biannual journal that we put out online and in print. And it has anywhere from between 14 to 20 articles written by students and faculty. And I wanted to kind of take that a step further. Some of the podcasts are more performative. So there might be like a robot voice might appear suddenly and take over the podcast or there might be more like a mixtape. So really this is the goal to have these episodes give people a glimpse of what it's like to be at CCAM or have a project or hear the people and hopefully encourage them to come and do something with us. You've said a little bit about how, you know, getting these different people to come in and they're often you know, people who are thinking differently from the things that we expect from an astronaut or a biologist. What are some of the other benefits of collaboration uh, across disciplines? It's the ability to kind of set your mind in another frame. I would call it like reorienting an idea to have further insight into it. What would you tell to a Yale student right now about the best way to get involved with CCAM? Come to an event. So we have probably about 50 events per semester, anything from workshops to these artists visiting for Wednesday Wisdom. There's always something to find at CCAM. So it's just a matter of walking in the door and meeting some people there. And I think the best way to do that is to come to an event and then you kind of share the experience of the event and um, hopefully become encouraged or inspired to start making or bringing a project to to the CCAM to find a home. We're kind of a home for a lot of half-formed ideas, and that's okay. Like, there's, we don't give out any grades. We're inclusive of everyone. So I think that the lit major can come in and have a conversation with the person that, you know, loves programming microchips. They can find somebody to talk about. Who knows? They might work on something together. But yes, it's a very inclusive and open environment. And we try to have events reflect that. I'd say the feeling that I get when I walk into the CCAM is similar to being in an airport. I think I feel a sense of anticipation and also a sense of hitting the ground running and also being in the midst of 
many others with disparate paths cutting through the space, knowing that they're up to something interesting and that I hope I get caught up in some of that frenzy. The thing that a lot of people notice first is, you know, all the different technologies and equipment that we have on site. But to me, the really most significant piece of technology we have is just the door that you walk through. The way that the center itself is open to anybody across all of Yale campus, it's a place that anybody from any relationship to the school at all can really walk into and start meeting people and start making things. When I enter CCAM, I was always excited to see what familiar faces I recognize and who is in the space since students from all over the campus and different departments were using CCAM, so I was excited to see who is there. I love the opportunity to come into CCAM and just see who's there and what they're working on. For me, this last year has been so hard because I haven't had the opportunity to have that physical presence and the opportunity to just accidentally or fortuitously bump into people and have conversations in the hallway. I've definitely had the experience of just like hanging out in the CCAM and then running into someone I know and them saying, oh, I'm doing this like experimental concert in the lead studio in like two hours. Can you run sound for it and record it? And then, yeah, just jumping in and, and like working on the thing. And sometimes that often involves like learning, you know, how to use the motion capture system or how to use, like how to interface with this new thing. And I think that that like spontaneous collaboration and creativity and learning on the fly was like so important to me. The galleries very nicely lit and I was always looking at the books that were in the gallery. Of course using the equipment, office and the different labs and of course printers. I collaborated the most with people from um, School of Music and School of Drama, of course, through the touring opera. I think the Seacamic community has exposed me to so many wild and thoughtful thinkers. That's included folks who really challenged me and broadened my perspectives on concepts like sound art to VR to other dancers who are really focused on physical proximity and interaction and an embodied thought to different ways to think about immersion and why uh, live performance and immersion is important in a technological world. I think that it's insights like this that emerge out of bringing people from outside the conversation into the conversation. You know, this is not about everybody coming together and agreeing with each other in the most efficient way. This is about bringing people together that may have never met and would have never thought that there were overlapping concerns in their fields. But when they come together and they start working on projects together, they discover hopefully entirely new fields. Thanks for listening. And thanks to everyone who's worked made this episode possible. To learn more about the podcast, the people, and the CCAM, please go to ccam.yale.edu or yalemacat.com. Thanks.